Hello everybody, it's Melissa. I am back and this week I have a guest on the podcast. Her name is Beverly and she is going to talk a bit about her experience of grief and loss as an autistic person and how uh, there aren't very many resources uh, for autistic people specifically when it comes to loss because we do tend to process uh, things like this in a different way as neurotypicals do. So she's going to talk about her experience of uh, unfortunately losing her husband and how it was hard for her to navigate and find the support that she needed as a neurodivergent person. Um, There is one point in this interview where we lost our connection and so you'll hear it like shut off and then turn back on again. So I'm sorry about that little blip. And uh, But other than that, it was a great conversation. Uh, I mostly just kind of let Beverly take the reins and, and do most of the talking here because she really does have um, more experience with this type of situation than I do. A lot more because I've never experienced the, the loss of a partner, but um, just with, with loss in general. And I do want to say that I am posting a... Uh, sort of sister episode to this one on the Patreon page as a bonus episode about my own experience with grief and loss as an autistic person. So if you're on the Patreon, uh, you'll get to hear that one. If not, sorry, (laughs) no, just kidding. Uh, you know, this, it felt sort of like a more personal episode. So I sort of just wanted to post it there instead of making it public. Um, but the Patreon is only $5 a month and you do get two bonus episodes a month with that subscription plus some other little perks. So Um, If you want to join the Patreon, I will put the link in the show notes and you can do that. Um, Yeah, but Beverly's interview, right? I don't know if I want to call it an interview even because I hardly did anything. She just sort of came prepared and and went on about her experience and made my job real easy just as a listener. But uh, her sharing her experience is is really interesting and uh, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on how how you deal with grief and loss, if any of you have been in this sort of situation uh, that Beverly has been in. So um, yeah, that's all. And go ahead and I hope you guys enjoy the the talk I had with Beverly. Got it. Okay. All right. Hi, Beverly. We already said hi, but now we have to say hi for podcast purposes. (laughs) Yeah. Hello. Hello. So you're going to kind of take the lead on this episode, I think, because you have a lot to say. And I just want to really kind of take in your experience and sort of interject where I can relate. And if I have any questions or anything like that, but I know you have kind of a lot to talk about on this topic. So uh, I'm just kind of going to let you take it away and start from Start from wherever you want to start from, I guess. I guess you don't have to start from the beginning, but. Yeah, uh, so um, I'm Beverly. I live up in Sacramento. um, And I have been widowed for four and a half years. Um, And prior to that, my husband had been in a medical crisis for 18 months. So I had anticipatory grief and the stress of living on different coasts 
he was in the military and I was still also living in California and I was having to go back and forth. So there was a lot of additional stress that I think is beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about, but I just wanted to put it in perspective of what I was dealing with. It was actually during the stress of the anticipatory grief and the caregiving that I started to consider that I might possibly be on the spectrum. Um, I was looking for help with my ADHD. I was late diagnosed with ADHD when I was 42. And all the stress of everything, my medicine wasn't working. I was in therapy, but all of my usual tricks and coping skills were no longer working. And I just kept digging and digging and digging. And I kept seeing more and more references to spectrum and women and all of this kind of stuff. And it was like, oh, this is starting to explain a lot more. Um, I've not been formally diagnosed, but I'm definitely self-diagnosed. I can't, every time I've taken one of those online quizzes and stuff, it's been, um, I've been scoring relatively high. Um, like any other uh, woman of my age group, I was never considered for being ADHD or what they were calling hyperactive back then. Um, and so it, it was just, it was really, really hard. Um, I think my biggest struggle has been um, what's expected of me um, in terms of social interaction, dealing with people, dealing with family members, dealing with clients. Um, so it, it's, it's just been really, really tough. Um, I'm getting better, um, but I wanted to talk about the differences that I saw um, between neurotypicals and neurodivergent people, uh, especially about widows, because losing a partner or a spouse um, is a little bit different than losing your pet or losing a sibling or your mom or anybody else like that. Those are all big and huge. Grief is grief. Like I'm not dismissing grief. I'm not comparing grief. I'm not saying, oh, one is higher than the other. But when you're involving a spouse and a partner, when your finances are tied, your future plans are tied, your identity as a couple, as a spouse, all of that stuff is so intertwined in the um, issues that you have to take on once your loved one has died, cleaning up their financial stuff, their voting record, all of that stuff. It's a tremendous strain on someone myself who I was already struggling, struggling with everything else, trying to cope in a world that does not like someone who's neurodivergent. And right. so I, I started my, my grief already exhausted, already having health issues, even though I consider myself extremely healthy. Um, and it, just bizarre things, just, um, you know, gut issues, um, being hypersensitive, especially to noises and people and um, the cacophony of people talking and all of this kind of stuff. When you are stressed in grief, there there are no more coping skills. Everything's gone. Your, your spoon drawer is completely empty and it's like only 8 a.m. Um, and what I found interesting as I started to get help 
with my grief um, after my husband had died. I didn't, it was, I had about a year before the pandemic started and I've been going into therapy, but after the pandemic started, there was started to be all these Zoom meetings and support and virtual support. And um, I started to, it started to feel good because I had a community and I was able to talk with other women for like the first time I was able to bond with other women who were, you know, neurotypical and, but we all had like this common experience. And one of the things I started to notice was that everyone had this temporary loss of executive functioning. And so suddenly it was like people who had been neurotypical their entire life were suddenly getting a glimpse and a reality shock of what it's like to be neurodivergent and watching them try to process with, where did I put my keys? Where did I park? I can't handle this paperwork. I don't wanna make phone calls. Um, when they had been able, you know, through their whole adult life, being able to handle these things and then everything falls apart, it was like, wow, oh, I really am so much more different than everybody else. It started to feel more isolating, but it was also great in that I was able to make friends and get have um, a sense of community where I had been feeling so isolated. Um, there's a lot of things that are crossover with grief. Like pretty much everyone who loses a spouse or partner, you go through a major overhaul with your friend circle. So you have like your inner core support, your outer core, and then like the periphery friends. And that all shifts. That's so common throughout everybody is like everybody who you feel like was in your inner core, your inner support system, they all turn and ghost you after about three or four months. This is, and it's so hard because this is a huge loss for widows. Um, and maybe you have like one person that stays in your inner core. And then what's really surprising is that people that were in your second or third circle of friends, some of those come in and they're now an intimate friend. Losing your spouse or partner usually means that you have lost your number one backup mentor, accountability partner, your best friend the one person that you can be unmasked with at any time and they just know you. And all of a sudden having no one that you can relax around, unmask around. Ah, it's really stressful. Really yeah. stressful. I can imagine. And also for many neurodivergent folks, some people find it really hard to forge friendships and maybe don't have that circle of people around them either right. when going through something like that. So that's another layer yeah. to that whole thing where, you know, it might <gasps> affect, oops, affect them in a different way. Your dog. <laughs> it's, it's okay. You guys always hear my dogs in the background. Yeah. Of the podcast. Um, I'm like, now I want to know what kind of dog that is. <laughs> okay. She's a sweetie. This is, I'll turn the thing over. 
this is abby uh, she's in her crate <laughs> oh my gosh she's so cute um i love dogs she, so much she's so sweet um she was a stray my pa- my parents adopted her about seven years ago and then i she came into my life a year ago so oh i love she's dogs they're just the best yeah. uh <laughs> but Yeah, I can imagine that for many neurodivergent people, just not having that circle of friends or people who you feel really close or comfortable with to rely on, um, that can add an extra layer. And I'm curious if that affected you at all, if that sort of thing, or did did you find that you had people to lean on? I, in this, I had one friend that I've been, she's also neurodivergent too surprise surprise (laughs) of course (laughs) um she has stayed with me you know it's and it's it's a really awesome relationship because we can go a week or two and not even talk and we can just pick right back up um and I can be unmasked with her at all times that's just been um so lucky but she doesn't live nearby um I was hurt (laughs) because there's always this image is like just things on tv where someone is widowed and they come home and there's like piles of people giving them casseroles or people are coming by to help or whatever and I kept thinking to myself where's my damn casserole yeah. what have I done to people like how come no one's coming to help me and I'm yeah. like okay well probably I've done something where I've you know had the resting bitch face and um you know, people just feel like, oh, you know, she doesn't want to be contacted. Um, and it, it's just, it's hard to navigate. I had, you know, an outer circle of um, women friends, like a book club going out and doing stuff. And I swear, just everybody just turned and ignored me. It was like, like nothing. I would make a post on Facebook about kind of what I was going through and people were so uncomfortable. I just started, I, I stopped posting on Facebook. I just dropped all my social media stuff. Um, couldn't do it. And I always felt yeah. weird going to like events or parties. I, all of a sudden I just, I really felt like other before I could mm-hmm. handle it, but um, not so much. Um, and it, the other thing that's like really weird. I know a lot of people have this is that, because we have this like lag in emotions and reactivity, we're like super boss when it comes to emergencies. And so I feel that there, that first few months I was really on point. I could handle a bunch of stuff. I could handle all these different things coming at me. And it's a lot, it is a lot of stuff. And I wanted to automate things. I wanted to like, you know, I did all these things to kind of protect myself, like automatic email responses, like voice message saying, please send me a text. I would turn my phone off so I would have less and less interruptions. Um, But what was weird was like the, the, I just learned this phrase, it's like touched out where like, I'm not, it's weird. Like some people, because of what I used to do with clients, I was a hairdresser. People would always want to give me hugs and stuff like that. But I'm not like a person who like goes up and hugs people. And sometimes it just yeah. feels really jarring. And like when someone comes up and is like hugging you, you're like, ugh. And I just felt like everyone was like so touchy feely with me, like constantly trying to touch me and give platitudes while they were like touching my arm and stuff. 
Ugh, you know, just yeah. <laughs> that thing. Um, and so, and people kept saying, oh, you're the most resilient person I've ever met. You're so strong. I could never. And it's like, I don't have a choice. And I have to just keep doing this and I can focus on the tasks. And it was, I, I didn't want to like cry in front of people. People were always like asking me, like, well, how did he die? You know, how are you doing really? Or, yeah. you know, it was just, it, it was such an invasion of privacy and I didn't know how to handle it. And I couldn't, I was so tired. I was having trouble picking up social cues anyway. Mm -hmm. and um and that was a problem it was certainly a problem at the funeral memorial service all of that I felt so bizarre and I felt so I felt on display like and I just felt I couldn't cry in front of anybody I couldn't emoting I was like very just blank faced and I'm sure that that was unnerving for people because I wasn't behaving like you're supposed to behave yeah and there's no one I couldn't mirror anybody's behavior at the funeral because I I was it you know like there everybody else was like friends or family or colleagues I didn't have anybody to sort of see oh what's appropriate what are you what are you supposed to do at this and just being completely tapped out by people and wanting to be alone and then people not wanting to leave you alone. And, you know, just, yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is definitely hard. Like the outward expression of emotion can be a lot different. If you're neurodivergent, it can't always look like what people might expect you to look like outwardly. And, you know, you mentioned the resting bitch face where it's like, I feel like that's a thing that, neurodivergent people especially autistic women get accused of having a lot just because of like just we don't outwardly present as right. people would like want us to or expect us to and I feel like that's probably even heightened when you're going through something as traumatic as losing a spouse and people are expecting you to be very emoting very outwardly and crying and and you know some neurodivergent people may react to grief like that but there are others that just either don't or have the delayed processing like it seems kind of like you said you were like in emergency mode for a little while and probably didn't yeah. process fully for a while oh, which I know is a... uh oh am I back Oh no, now you froze. Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was weird. I think that was my fault on my end. Uh, my internet, I think, was being weird, but I connected to my hotspot now, so we should be fine. Okay, cool. So, uh, anyway, where were we? Um, so I was talking about being touched out, getting surprise touches, and then the emotional dysregulation of sharing too much, not recognizing when I've overshared, not re recognizing social cues. 
And this was the weird thing. And this happens to so many widows. You get men coming out of the woodwork, flirting with you, trying to get into your DMs and like, oh, she's desperate. She must need some attention. And then not reckon like, you know, cause it's, you know, when you're an adult, it's like sometimes and you don't recognize people making like flirty, weird overtures. Oh yeah. And <laughs> wow. Then to be like in grief fog. Um, it was really weird. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's what's happening. Oh my and gosh. So put, that was that that just the sense of not feeling safe and secure. Um, that was a main that was a big reason why I just like dropped. Facebook. I didn't want people messaging me because they saw, oh, that this had happened. And it was weird. Like people that I hadn't, like men that I hadn't ever really talked before were like sending me messages and stuff like, oh, just let me know if I can do anything. And I'm like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So that was, that was frightening. Um, but I got through it. Um, and just, I'm looking over my notes. Um, yeah, so just the, I'm not sure when I should mask, when, when I could mask. If I did unmask, I seemed to like, you know, kind of, you know, people, I would see people doing this at me, like when I was talking about stuff. And I was also, there were people that would criticize me about, oh, you just need to let it out. Like I wasn't grieving properly to their expectations. Or, when you get start getting out of the fog or whatever and you laugh you know i'd laugh at something something was funny or i was enjoying myself and people would say this deeply wounded me oh i see you're over it now you're happy again yay you're done with your grief I'm oh like, no i just <laughs> laughed about something or you know i can be in a good mood i can't i can't be in grief mode all the time it was just weird and I know and I had I've heard from other widows that this is very very common that you feel and then you feel guilty like oh my god I laugh I shouldn't laugh I shouldn't be having a good time because if I'm having a good time then I'm not grieving my person and that means that I don't love somebody and blah 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 yeah and that's hard because I feel that I know well I know that I try so hard to appear competent and that I'm able to handle things and do the adult stuff right and so I'm I always feel like I am on being judged or being criticized or scrutinized and so it just it would make me very very nervous like I would have to prep myself before I would be out and about um the other I was also really worried that if someone were to come over and I was having just a rough day, like you, you had those fallout days and those meltdown days when you're not able to like do your dishes and keep a tidy house, that if someone were to do like a surprise visit, um, it was very jarring and it would feel very intrusive on my privacy and that just wanting to have some privacy and some downtime was seen as a malfunction. Like you yeah. Need to, you need to do things. Um, you're like, just leave the casserole on the front doorstep, please. Yeah. And... I'm, I'm still <laughs> waiting for those casseroles. But... Still waiting for the casseroles. <laughs> um, it, and another like kind of weird thing is like, 
already we're overwhelmed say we're because I just feel like this is the normal thing we're overwhelmed when we have to go to the grocery store flickering yeah. lights the noise the squeak of the cart all of the colors and choices and smells and people and all that kind of stuff um it's super common in widow land to be grocery shopping and have to abandon a cart and bolt out of the store and I it took me a long time and still have some trouble getting to the grocery store, but it's, it's a high demand function that mm -hmm. I think a neurotypical would be like, you just go to the grocery store. Who cares? You just go to the grocery store. You prepare dinner. Who cares? You know, like, yeah, it's boring. And it's, but it's, it, it's just so much more when you're trying to cope with all these different things. Um, the thing with, that I'm always ready for research. I'm always ready to do that deep dive rabbit hole, learn about something, really get immersed in the subject. Mm -hmm. And I definitely did this with my husband's medical crisis. Um, I became, you know, of course I pick up information so quickly and I would get asked by medical people, doctors, whatever. Are you a nurse? Are you in the medical field? It's like, no, I would just say, no, I would just play one on TV, but I, because I had that information so quickly and it was just, I would be so consumed by it. Um, people thought that I was in the medical field and yeah. I wasn't, I was just hyper focused. Like I figured the information is out there. If the information is out there. Maybe something can be done for my husband or the information is out there. I can find about, learn more about grief and grieving as um, someone who struggles with ADHD or spectrum. And I just kept digging, 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 and I could never find anything. And I was so shocked, dismayed, irritated that that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you was that I was like, okay, someone, you know, you're kind of local. And I was like, oh, I'll reach out to you. And I'd reach out to some other people. Like, I never see grief talked about on Spectrum podcasts or sites. And there have been a few times where I have reached out to people who are experts in ADHD and I would get kind of like oh well no it's not that big a deal or everybody has grief and we all have to go through stuff and you just have to deal with the grief and then you can go back to dealing with your ADHD as if you know <laughs> as if that's even possible yeah I you know it's like that it, there's just so many malfunctions and disruptions to your life the other thing that uh, I, I think we were talking about this before we started recording was that I lost a lot of my special interests and my special interest was my own business and I was burnt out. I couldn't do my job anymore. I couldn't do my career anymore. And all of a sudden I had to deal with the loss of as a spouse, my relationship. Then I had to deal with my loss as an identity, as a career person, as a business owner. Um, and then who am I? What do I like to do? Where's my creative outlet? I've been creative my entire life. I couldn't create. My brain had no energy left, yet I felt this emptiness inside me. Like, I need to create. I need to write. I need to read. I couldn't read. I couldn't even read a paragraph without getting a headache. And I had to do all these different sorts of accommodations 
Um, yeah. One of the things, and I recommend this to every single widow, because a lot of people complain about not being able to read. They want to read for pleasure is to go ahead and buy the audiobook and get the physical book and do like first grader read along. <laughs> and it was so helpful. It was like, and I would feel shame about that. Like, I can't believe I have to do this. But I was like, I want to enjoy reading. I want to enjoy doing art and being creative. And if that's the accommodation I have to make, okay. So it's, you know, all part of the neurodivergent tax as it's yeah. referred to. Like everything costs you something. It's a little bit more than what other people were experienced. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I would just find that, it, and this is, I think a lot has changed because of the pandemic. Um, I lost my husband in 2018. So a full year and change before the pandemic shut us all down. I think there's so much more about death and dying on podcasts and social media and TikTok. Um, there's just so many more resources for people. And all of a sudden we were surrounded by death and dying because of COVID-19. And it was affecting everybody. Somebody somewhere was hit with deep grief of, you know, a person, a partner, family member, sibling, friends. And I think things were getting more discussed. But I think people just, people have a little bit more support. Neurotypicals have a little bit more support, a little bit more ease. Um, and they're able to get back into the mainstream a little bit quicker. I What I was finding was that there's a nickname in Widowland called Widow Brain or Wid Brain, where you're completely foggy and, you know, you put your keys in the refrigerator, you forget where you parked. You can't find a piece of paper. You're looking for your glasses and you're wearing them. I mean, all typical stuff that we go through every single day, all day long. But it just seems so much more. It was like, oh my God, I'm, I, it's, it was like more. If I lost my glasses once a day, I was losing my glasses six times a day. Yeah. Or couldn't find my phone or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and just the, stimuli everything was so intense like um it just it was overwhelming um what was coming in for input and I just found my I, I found myself unmasking and doing inappropriate behaviors I you know like pressing my eyes in public and like starting to shake or holding myself constantly and then realizing that I was doing these weird stimming behaviors in front of people and then being just so embarrassed where I'd been able, I'd been like an absolute overachiever, you know, boss masker. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I didn't do it. Anymore. And that happens uh, to people, you know, it seems like you're in autistic burnout or maybe even it seems like autistic burnout uh, like on steroids maybe because that's yeah. where you just like totally lose your ability you know you regress in certain areas like you said you couldn't even read you know without having a like a headache or a severe problem um you know not being able to mask as well or at all you know the, the social um abilities just all go down 
downhill really fast. Just all of the stuff that you're normally able to hold together just fall away because you're doing so much to just exist throughout the day. Everything's so heightened and you're like battling all of this internal stuff and all of the little tasks that you mentioned that start coming at you. That it's just, it's very overwhelming and too much. And I, I'm curious to know, because for me, death, I, luckily I've never, not, I'm going to knock on wood because I'm super, I'm super, <laughs> I've never <laughs> experienced a loss of someone super close to me that was not someone I don't know how to say this without sounding like insensitive, but not someone who was like expected to die before me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you expect to lose like grandparents and that doesn't make right. it not hard, but it definitely, it's a different tone of grief because it's like, oh, well, these are my grandparents and you expect them to die before you. Like that's how it's supposed to go. Right. Um, not a peer, not someone younger than you. Exactly. Friends. And I, yeah. I've actually experienced the loss of friends, very close friends, even an ex-boyfriend before this. And it, it was very, very hard and not properly processing that grief. And this is a call out to everyone. Work, you ha- working with a therapist, working with groups or whatever, um, finding modalities like especially if you have cptsd or something that if you don't have if you've not processed that grief it will wait and it will fester and when you have a new grief situation that old grief comes banging on your door and wants attention right there then and i was so lucky that i was already working with a therapist who knew that i had adhd who had worked with me through a little bit of anticipatory grief and was there with me through all of the grief. I still work with this person. Um, It's been amazing because otherwise I don't know what I've done. If I had had to try and look for a therapist during all of this, I don't know how I would have done that. Um, Well, yeah, that's just adding another task to the list (laughs) when you're already Uh, tapped out. The, um, but one of the weirdest things that I want to talk about is object permanence. And I know that this affects both autism and ADHD, mm-hmm. that if something is out of sight, out of, it is out of mind, out of emotional range. And when you put that on a human being, the guilt and the shame, like, it's not that I forgot that I had a husband or whatever, but it was just, there would be times where I would be in my own head. And then all of a sudden it would hit me of, lost my husband where's my where is this or I would get a I would see something physically that reminded me of him or I would smell something of him and all of a sudden it would be like whoosh and I would be into this surge that could lead to like a meltdown or extreme grief rage and I, there were times I just felt like a toddler, like my emotional dysregulation was off the hook. And I did things in my rage that, I mean, it's like, I haven't, I, I think I've been waiting to share this story 
Um, it is so embarrassing. It is so shameful, but I want to normalize bizarre rage <laughs> for people in deep grief. I took, it was a, a Shutterfly hardbound book, memory book of pictures of my husband and I. And we had taken like the blank spaces and we'd written notes to each other. It was super cute and like just, you know, it was really neat. We would like give it back and forth and we'd add stories and then we'd give it back to the other person. It was this very sweet book. And I had been just pushed over the limit, over the limit, over the limit. And I was on a grief, rage, terror. I had so much anger. I had so much anxiety, which is another thing that comes flaring. And I looked at that book and I just took everything out on that book. I tore it to bits. I shredded it. I threw it. I stomped on it. I was like, I am a three-year-old having a tantrum. Mm -hmm. As I'm doing this, I'm like, you're going to regret this. And I finished. And then I looked at it and I was like, that was really stupid. And then I had another grief wave and crying and all this kind of stuff. I will like to add, though, that if you do an album with Shutterfly or one of those other services, you can reorder it. <laughs> so oh, nice. <laughs> I have a copy Thankfully. of it, but obviously I don't have all the cute little notes that are inside of it. But that was like yeah. the one little save of, you know, and that I hate saying that story. I mean, people are going to think, oh, my God, she's a monster. How could she not care? But it was just I it had no all of my energy, all of my rage, my anger, everything, it just, it didn't have anywhere to go. It didn't have any place to fall in. And I didn't have this, you know, back in 2018, early 19, we didn't have Zooms. We didn't have virtual meetings and the widow support groups were all filled with old people. I mean, sorry to sound yeah. ageist, but that's really what it was. I didn't, I couldn't find anybody of peers I didn't, I didn't know how to find some normalcy. Um, but I, you know, I would find like certain books on grief and whatever, and I'm going to plug Megan Devine. It's okay that you're not okay. As one of the best books resources I have ever found. I had the book and then I had it on an audiobook, and I just played it constantly. And, um, it, it was, it was so instrumental in helping me validate my grief and see how um, screwed up our society is as a whole with grief. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's just, it's amazing. Like it just things that can trigger me again, like smells, noise, all of that stuff. I have to be very, mm -hmm. very protective of input and stimuli. Um, and, you know, here I am at four and a half years. I feel like I'm still discovering who I am, what do I want to do? And, but I, I had a, um, every year with my widows group, we do like a word that we want to focus for the year. And, mm -hmm. um, this year, my word is breakthrough because I want to get back into more creative endeavors. I really want to explore like who I am. What do I want to be? Where my focus is going. And, um, it's kind of exciting. It's a little, scary but that's okay yeah. um <laughs> and <sighs> yeah <laughs> so it's have heavy you matter. ever it is have you ever considered starting some sort of virtual group specifically for 
um, neurodivergent widows or widowers? I have, and it was is like early on because there's so much paperwork and so much mail, and oh my god, if you hate being on the phone, there's so many phone calls you have to make, mm-hmm. just crazy, stupid stuff, and it's so. I just wanted to automate it. And I kept thinking, oh, if only I could hire an admin assistant to take care of some of this burden and to sort through some of the mail. And I thought, oh, well, I mean, because I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I thought, oh, maybe I could create a business of, you know, going in and helping someone and doing that kind of stuff. And um, also with my hyper focus on death and dying, I thought that I wanted to be a, um, it's called an end of life doula. And I had started to mm-hmm. study that because I thought I understand this. I've lived through it. I can recognize sort of all types and all types of grieving. And I'm so accepting of everybody, like yeah. wherever you're at, I will meet you. I like, I am not gonna, you know, I'm a, I think neurodivergent people are so, they want to be the champion of other people. They want to like, fight for rights and justice and there's like this deep need like we know that we've been wronged and we don't want to make we want to make sure that everybody else is okay as well yeah um but that's it's just not hitting for me and um there are there are other sources for that um it's a great idea I just don't feel like I have it in me I feel Mm -hmm. that my expression is more on the artistic theatrical side I really want to get back into doing yeah um, more of those things um oh uh the other thing that we're so hypersensitive and we know how other people feel like you can it's called reading the room and you know you know how other people feel I know that I spent so much of my time my first year helping other people work through their grief over my husband and their emotions about grief, I would drop everything on my side and I would comfort them. That was the weirdest thing. It's like, why am I comforting you about my, my husband's death? It just, it, it yeah. never clicked. And it was like, oh, this is why, because we're people pleasers and mm-hmm. we want people to feel comfortable. And that was weird. That was like a, now I, now when I see that, I'm like, okay, I can pause. And I think that's the, that's been the biggest thing for me is that I'm learning to get my pause button back uh-huh. and just go, okay, is that me? Or oh, yeah. that's just my autism. <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I recognize that pattern. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's, it's such a process and I'm sure it will continue to be a process for you um, because I don't think it's ever something you truly get over when you lose someone so close to you. It's just, it's always going to be there. It's of course the intensity wanes, but I'm sure you still have moments that creep up on you and that seem really hard and unfair. And there's a lot more, there's a lot more um, ease and space and I give myself grace now. Like I, when I feel there's so much in grief talking, you know, alluding to waves, when I feel a grief wave happening, I can go, Oh, that's what that is. Or I can anticipate something like leading up to key dates. Oh, this is going to be hard. Um, yeah. 
and just saying it's okay and allowing myself to feel those things um so it is a process um there's definitely a difference between early deep grief and moving on um yeah. even though i don't like to use that phrase um it's going to forever be a part of me um but i and i i just want people to know that if they are in deep early grief or continuing to grief grieve that they're that as the years go by, time does not heal all wounds. I hate that platitude. But there are spaces and opportunities for who you are to come back through and to not feel guilty about it, to just embrace it. And uh, things will turn out better. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there's hope. I, uh, I'm... I'm glad that I'm still involved in my widow support groups. I definitely can see the difference now, um, how things are a little bit more prolonged. It's definitely a lot easier for me to see someone in the group who is not neurotypical. I tend to now latch onto them and <laughs> mama yeah. bear them almost a little bit um, and just reach out to them and say, hey, um, I, I noticed this. I'm this way. Um, yeah. If you're that way, I'm a safe space. Uh, and so that's kind of what they do. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Spotting the the neurodivergent folks is pretty easy. <laughs> Once you <laughs> yeah. know enough about it, you're like, oh, I can pick you guys out of the lineup. I'll glom yeah. on and be your person that you need. But that's that's awesome. Um, thanks so much for just sharing all of that. And I know there are probably a lot of people out there who can relate to what you've been through with your loss and uh, I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that and it's Thank just you. such a I mean <laughs> I was gonna say such a bummer bummer does not seem like a big enough word but it it truly is it a is bummer. Just, it's like you can use like I like those relaxed words I like saying grief sucks yeah. this you know it it's all you know f-bombs the whole thing um it yeah. is a bummer um and it i i just normalizing this pain and that um yeah and that it is different for neurodivergent folks that um to keep seeking help keep getting information and to not feel even more isolated and to give yourself more shame just because our brain works differently than other people mm -hmm. um, to recognize it and can keep looking for help, finding the help that's going to work best for you. Cause that is definitely helped me. Yeah, definitely. You just gotta kind of put one foot in front of the other. I kind of hate that saying too, but it really is true where it's like, you just have to sometimes force yourself to, to figure it out and it is harder when you're when your brain and the way you process and deal with things doesn't necessarily meet all of the yeah. world's expectations so um yeah I allow I allow myself to have like a crash and burn day if I need to be under covers and in jammies all day yeah that's what I do um yeah. and I you know I like I said I just give myself more grace and leniency I'm not so hard on myself anymore. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Thank you. I appreciate you talking with me and